am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. Eighty-five percent of the teenagers in high school have been exposed to hardcore Satanism. Jesus wants me to live an abundant human life. Satan's pretty cool. Hello and welcome to Fake Ritual. Your guide to pop culture and the occult. I'm your host, Lucas Sloppy, and my guest today is a painter and an educator. Please welcome to the show, Kenneth Nicholson. Hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, big applause. May I'll add that in post. Uh, so, painter, tell us a bit about your painting practice. When did you start, and uh, why are you still doing it? Well, I think in terms of art, I've always been making art. Uh, in terms of doing it, I guess, quote-unquote, professionally, um, I think when I started going to grad school immediately, for when I made the decision to go to grad school, that was one of the, uh, I guess, the one of the decisions to kind of really take it seriously that I was going to pursue that as a career. I went to uh, Pennsylvania Academy in Philly, uh, with the hopes that I would get my MFA and afterwards be able to teach at a college level. So be able to kind of keep up my studio practice and at the same time um, make ends meet while working within my field as well. And uh, I definitely don't know the answer to this question, but how did that work out for you, teaching? I mean, it's been working out all right so far. I graduated in 2016, so I've been like working consistently as an adjunct uh, since then. So like, working part-time, different colleges in the area, kind of like picking up gigs where I can. Right on. So, uh, yeah, might as well introduce the topic. Our topic today is uh, the venerable king of the venereal, the baron of blood himself, Canadian-born, Body horror heavyweight, we're talking director David Cronenberg, and uh, I guess more specifically, uh, body horror, which he is considered a pioneer in the genre of. Uh, but I guess up top, I'll just give a Wikipedia definition of body horror, and then I'm going to throw to you, Kenneth, to uh, see you know how you would define it. But I actually kind of like this Wikipedia uh, definition it still sounds as gnarly as it is. Body horror or biological horror is a subgenre of horror that intentionally showcases grotesque or psychologically disturbing violations of the human body. These violations may manifest through aberrant sex, mutations, mutilation, zombification, gratuitous violence, disease, or unnatural movements of the body. So, Kenneth, uh, can you add to that? One of the things I find so, like, for me, interesting, but at the same time kind of, like, maddening, is that that definition hits the nail, like, right on the head. But when we kind of get into that, that could really describe 
so many other movies outside of the realm totally of what we would consider body horror so then we kind of like think about well what is it that makes body horror like kind of this really specific yeah because we we think of like that idea of like invasion or just like the kind of uh almost like uh, perversions of the body that could be any number of different movies like we wouldn't consider like uh and well I guess like well, even like Dracula, any it's num- like vampires are exactly an invasion of the body. It's a corruption of your body. You're made eternal. It definitely can be not embraced by everybody, but that's definitely not body horror. So I totally see what you mean. I I would argue that the maybe the word you were looking for is ah even that doesn't quite say it. Transformation. I feel like there is this yeah. This intertwining of like something bad, but then it transforms you into something more. Absolutely. I think there's this like idea of transformation or mutation outside of your control. And okay. when we yes. see something like like uh, the brood or video drone, one of the things that we can kind of track is that something's happening to your body that is very much outside of your control. And that kind of seems to be like right there, like one of the kind of um, sticking points to where body horror kind of like, uh, how do I want to say almost where it kind of like expands on that definition that Wikipedia gave us. Yeah. And we can definitely narrow in on Cronenberg here too, because I feel like he really did set up the genre or at least make it a genre rather than an outlier. His stuff always kind of reinforces the humanity. It's not just happening and it's a gross out. You actually get to see how people respond to that and how it plays out. So uh, from that, you know, I, I would ask you, how do you think Cronenberg sees the human body? Well, I think kind of like tying into what you were saying, like we can kind of make a really... Oftentimes we can make like a hard line distinction between what Cronenberg's doing and sometimes with like B-movie horror, which I also love. But sometimes when we would watch like a like a kind of like splatter punk film or kind of like splatter like monster film, uh, exploitation, sometimes there's kind of like a tongue-in-cheek nature to it that is really kind of like just reveling in the like... Uh, extremity like the kind of overall like violence and the kind of shock but with Cronenberg we always feel he is like so damn sincere about everything that he's showing you yes especially with like you said that uh idea of like the humanity and I think that's what makes his films oftentimes so scary like something like Dead Ringers he loves his characters yeah and he makes you care about them so like Dead Ringers for being like a movie that isn't even incredibly from my memory, like violent in terms of like on-screen violence, he he gets you wrapped up in the in the being or the stories of these people, um, and that's what kind of ties you in. And then when they go through this transformation or this kind of change, this becoming, uh, you are all the more kind of like tied in to their story, especially with something like The Fly. I think the function of a horror film is to uh, allow people to confront things that disturb them about life in general 
in a, in a relatively safe environment. We, we, are, we are born to test ourselves uh, against what will come. When we're ch children test themselves uh, in, in terms of society and sexuality. And, uh, and later you, you think about things like violence and aging and disease and death and separation. And one of the arenas that you can sort of test yourself is the cinema, is film. Yeah, uh, well, you might as well just jump right in here, too, because uh, we're already, like, name-dropping all these movies. So, Kenneth, you want to talk about The Fly to start? And then maybe we'll go through a few other of your faves here. Absolutely. I think The Fly is, like, most people's, uh, like, oftentimes it's probably like going to be, like, the entry point for a lot of people, since I think it has, like, uh, Jeff Goldblum... Um, I think just the overall kind of, even like, I don't even know to say box office because I don't know how well it did, but it seems like one of the films that kind of put him on I think it did pretty well. the map. Yeah. In yeah, terms of like, map. be afraid, be very afraid. We kind of think of that as being one of the kind of, uh, breakout movies for him as well. But it also kind of like tied in all these things that you see him like previously being interested in, in terms of like science body horror transformation and kind yeah, of technology like, absolutely and i think technology being such a big aspect for cronenberg that's been so interesting to kind of see him work with because we've been seeing him work since like the 70s and 80s so as technology has changed we get to see him constantly change with it and and engage with that when did you first see the fly because for me it was the grossest thing i'd ever seen at like 10 years old yeah, I probably saw it on like TNT um, <laughs> at like 10 p.m. like on like a Saturday or something. And I imagine like what I saw had like a number of things cut out of it. But I think like a lot of people, there was like specific images that just stuck with me. So like the even kind of like going away from just like the trans mutation aspects like the arm wrestling scene and then yeah. just the I, yeah I, like the, i'm having the, a visceral reaction now you just saying that phrase the scene then like not too long after where he kind of like vomits the kind of like yep on the donuts fly acid yeah yeah uh <laughs> and just on the guy's hand as well. I mean, I forgot about the donuts. Um just like kind of melting Ugh. the guy. Yeah, but talk about transformation i mean he put jeff goldblum in there at kind of the peak of his hotness <laughs> and his the like peak mullet jeff you know gold and turned him into a repulsive slimy like toothless earless just monster inside and out too because he turns into a, a kind of a big asshole yeah but just like even with the we think of like special effects, especially in the 80s and 80s horror always gets this kind of like, uh, how do I even say, like 80s horror just like oftentimes has like a really great reputation for how great the effects are and how um, visceral horror was really becoming, especially kind of like transitioning out of the 70s where things were not only like, yes, like violent, but kind of like a little bit more stark. And we look at the effects in the fly and it just like boils and flesh and just like mounds of 
uh, like scar tissue. And that is what really is making up most of him as he's kind of like transforming, like so different than what we think of with like the Vincent Price, where he's like got the fly uh, mask on. Like here, you you really kind of get this kind of attention paid to like the viscera and like the actual kind of just like oh yeah yeah the original fly is more about what you don't see because yes there's the man with the fly head but a lot of the movie he's just walking around with uh cloth draped over it Mm -hmm. and that's kind of terrifying you know what's underneath there so if the original is what you don't see then cronenberg's is definitely what you do see all in camera, all practical effects, just kind of, it's up there with, you know, another body horror movie that is not Cronenberg, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Absolutely. Very, very real, very gross practical effects, probably some of the grossest. And I think, like, to their credit for both of them, we think oftentimes, especially, like, in the 80s, that, like, man, the best special effects are when you are like kind of like working with the shadow and with darkness and that you're not kind of like um kind of shooting the special effect like in- incredibly clearly because it seems like oftentimes that's when the effect kind of uh the magic gets uh snuffed mm-hmm. out in a way we kind of think back to like for me um it like the final spider scene and it uh, kind of like yeah. seeing like it really kind of takes away. But we kind of like look back, especially now as I'm like flipping through different stills, how much of that film just showed you everything. Same with thing with the thing. And everything. just like it, every kind of like slimy orifice and crevice for me, that was just like so affecting and gross, but like incredibly fascinating as well. And I think that's, still has kind of like stuck with my art oftentimes when I'm like kind of like working on, I always kind of go back to, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Mike Patton's band, Mr. Mr. Bungle. Bungle. Yes. So Mr. Bungle was like, yep. So uh, the line in quote unquote of the fleshly, fleshy limbless rectangle has always stuck with me. And that's kind of what I get when I get some of these like, images of jeff goldblum as he's transforming and i when it comes to like paintings i always try to think of them as like these kind of like fleshy limb filled rectangles yeah uh well okay one final question with regards to the fly uh before we move on to another film i I don't know which one quite yet what creature would you want to merge with i don't know I mean, I guess, like, foolishly, we were talking about cats earlier, and since I can't really see any positive outcome positive. for merging with, like, nice. any animal, see, yeah, okay. then yep. I, I probably just guess cat and then just kind of allow myself to uh, reap whatever awful thing happens. Whiskers on your ass. Oh, yeah, that's, if that's the worst, that's not that bad. <laughs> You're afraid to dive into the plasma pool, aren't you? You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? 
I bet you think that you woke me up about the flesh, don't you? But you only know society's straight line about the flesh. You can't penetrate beyond society's sick, gray fear of the flesh. Drink deep or taste not the plasma spring. See what I'm saying? I'm not just talking about sex and penetration. I'm talking about penetration beyond the veil of the flesh. A deep, penetrating dive into the plasma pool. Seventies Cronenberg is kind of where he was coming into his own. Eighties Cronenberg is, you know, the the Cronenberg everybody knows and loves. Uh, but then nineties Cronenberg is kind of an interesting beast. You have the beginning of the decade is his interpretation of William S. Burroughs' book Naked Lunch, which we referenced earlier. Uh, the end of the decade ends with his like virtual reality body horror thriller Existence, and then. In the middle of that is his interpretation of J.G. Ballard's Crash, a movie about people who like to fuck in car crashes. Uh, and this was one you you really wanted to talk about. Uh, and even just looking at your, your artwork, uh, I can see how... Uh, I can kind of see the the relation there, but you could do a better job of explaining that than me, so... Kenneth Nicholson, uh, why are we talking about Crash? One of the things that I love so much about his tackling of this book, as well as with Naked Lunch, is that at the time, especially, they were considered like unfilmable books or books that kind of worked against being adapted. And kind of listening to different interviews and listening to the commentaries and seeing how he approached translating and interpreting the words onto screen, for me, has always been incredibly inspirational. Because he's kind of approaching things that are immediately working against him. Like these projects that are um, incredibly challenging and oftentimes are um, very, how do I want to even say, they're loaded. They're definitely like yeah. they have a pre-established fan base and people are already against you just for even attempting it. Oh, exactly. But for me, I think like with Crash and Naked Lunch, not only do they have such a respect and regard for the source material, they are yeah. so different, <laughs> and they take so many like risks. Naked Lunch more so. Naked Lunch, in terms of him just kind of deciding this is going to have to be a different narrative, but for Crash as well, one of the things I love so much about that book is this kind of very straightforward and clinical style of writing, uh, this kind of really detached nature of writing about these individuals who are themselves so incredibly just detached from everyday life that you kind of get the sense that just like that's uh, they, that need for stimulation is really the only thing that drives them through life and that they are so kind of like lost and just flailing through everyday life and their relationships and just trying to find these different ways to create any kind of spark in their life. And then when they kind of go through this life-changing 
metamorphosis through the car crash that they kind of create this little almost cult or this like little family of individuals that can only relate to one another because they've experienced this one uh, body changing and, and life changing experience. But one of the things, especially about that novel that I've always kind of clung to is that you have these moments throughout the book where he kind of like Ballard diverges from that kind of like clinical way of writing and has such a kind of almost poetic and almost uh, like really lyrical way about writing about things that are absolutely oh yeah when devastating I, and disgusting uh, wounds you're saying car yeah. crashes and he for how fucked up that book is it also had some of the I mean I'm not like a big erotica reader but some of the sex scenes like that featured mm-hmm. these really fucked up like descriptions of you know wounds and crashes and all that were also like to be frank really hot <laughs> one of the things that was, i think that's um, really i think it, it felt almost intentional like i was supposed to be like oh my god am i becoming part of this group of people that thinks it's hot to be in car crashes <laughs> Well, like, in the beginning of the book, you get so many sex scenes immediately. And they are kind of like, they're kind of like tawdry and what you might expect in terms of like someone that's just kind of like trying to titillate you through uh, these kind of like sexual scenes. But it isn't until you get to those scenes with like Vaughn um, and Ballard himself in the book that you kind of get these a connection between these individuals. So I think that like what you're saying yeah. there, like makes a lot of sense. And Cronenberg talked about that for the movie. It's like one of the big criticisms that he gets with crash is that a film can't be a series of sex scenes. And one of the things I love about uh, like the Cronenberg on Cronenberg interview we were talking about and the commentary is that he says like, well, why not yeah. that we kind of see that in this book that is very like, dystopian even though it's in present day it feels like i, I could be wrong about that his but, stuff's, um, all, his stuff's freaky connect- for that reason it's like is this the future or is this like tomorrow a very near future yeah, yeah that you get this sense that it isn't until they have that connection that kind of like bond then then they are able to kind of actually have meaningful like uh, sex with one another or like these kind of yeah, like make connections love, as they would call it absolutely but i think like one of the things too about cronenberg's take on that is that for him he was trying to whether he did it successfully or not is that he was trying to make as many scenes i think be as unsexy as possible or for him kind of mm. take that kind of very clinical and um almost like very distanced way of kind of going about yeah. the scenes because it it's wasn't like so a, much it's like a gynecological exam or something or like yeah well he was like trying office. to not make something like like how we normally think about a sex scene uh oftentimes it's there to like entertain us and kind of like excite us but those scenes like they those sex scenes that we see throughout the movie all play really big roles in how the characters are developing especially as they're trying to pull each each other in to that little cultish group that they have um yeah very very interesting 
but for me, just like how Cronenberg and Ballard, especially if you've read Ballard's uh, Atrocity Exhibition, I think one of the things that I loved, not only the kind of same like we were talking about, that like DIY kind of punk-like nature of dealing with really, really transgressive themes in like a very effortless way, but I think how they describe the body and how they can describe this kind of like union of of like the flesh and metal and how things like scars were for this little group of individuals something that's not even like oh scars are interesting like scars were like some of the most like erotic um uh, pieces of visuals that they could find like uh, the most like kind of erotic parts of your bodies are, are the things that tell the story about you and how you still remain throughout you know the experience of the crash as well yeah th- totally i feel like this this is perfectly circling back into kind of what we were talking about uh, in the beginning of this episode with regards to how cronenberg sees the body and sort of his brand of body horror and sort of what body horror maybe ought to be. And that is, it always circles back to the human experience. Even if they've become a mutant or a freak or have, you know, become some sort of like uh, monster in a sense, he still will show you that they're still human. So I don't know exactly if that, it's not an easy answer question to answer how does Cronenberg see the human body but it does seem to be uh optimistic uh maybe is not the right word but it's not pessimistic I think for him I think as an artist he sees it as optimistic in in that he sees a lot of possibility with the human body yes um as someone that when he's talking about just like the experience of having a body, I think for me, that's sometimes where his body horror hits closest to home. That it's not always like when we think of like Tetsuo, the Iron Man, or even think about something like society, the kind of body horror found in those films are always from kind of almost like very, very extraordinary circumstances. But for Cronenberg, just Mm -hmm. the, the act of having a body kind of opens up the possibility for like really, really horrific experiences. And I think that in itself is something that's super uh, introspective and really, really interesting. And I think something that I've always connected to. Yeah. I think that's what keeps people coming back to Cronenberg is it does kind of make you feel better, especially on those days when you're really pissed at your body for whatever it's doing or not doing or is or isn't. I feel like he really is just transgressive in that sense. And that's why I feel like a lot of outsiders and weirdo artists and I mean this in the best way because I would include myself in the group, freaks love his stuff. Sure. is a fertilizing rather than a destructive event. Uh, A liberation of sexual energy, mediating the sexuality of those who have died with with, with an intensity that's impossible in any other form. (laughs) To to, to experience that, to to live that, that that is... uh, That's my project. 
What about the reshaping of the human body by modern technology? I thought that was your project. That's just a crude sci-fi concept. This kind of floats on the surface and doesn't threaten anybody. One final question for you here to kind of wrap things up on the Cronenberg uh, episode. If you could augment your body without limits, what would you become? When you initially asked me this, the first thing that came to mind was Wolverine and the Animanium Claws. But okay, I think it yep, would be yep. like such a waste for me. So I don't think I would do that because I don't. What would I don't know what I would do with them. I would probably just find a way to accidentally like stab myself. He roasted hot dogs with them. That's probably. What I I'd think do. that would be a good way to like make <laughs> use of it. I think I so I run hot as a person, so I'm all almost like always like I would much rather be cold, and that I just like I always overheat. I would love if I could in my body have a kind of like self-contained air conditioning unit and like kind of temperature control from my body um that for me would be like a way to augment my body that i think would be like most pragmatic that i could like kind of yeah. cool it down that would be awesome i got you know what that movie is called with the air conditioner in the body uh it's called heatnizer from heatnizer oh wait is that a real movie from, or did you just come up from that? no that's the one character from like uh it's like rudolph <laughs> <laughs> heat miser yeah heat miser, heat miser yeah. yeah i was gonna pitch just get this cool <laughs> be <laughs> do you, cool do you see cool this weekend are you going to see cool this weekend i heard it's pretty freaky it's just like a guy like on his recliner not sweating <laughs> yeah. in the summer man i love that answer though well uh what would you do? What would you do? What would I do? Oh my god. Probably I want to be able to fly. Super jump, super jump okay. fly. So like maybe like turn my feet into moon shoes. Remember moon shoes <laughs> from back in the day? Would you do like the like the Mario 64 like the like ha <gasps> Yeah, ha. double jump. I want to be able to double jump. Yeah. Not as that would be your, cool. your answer was, I, your answer was again, a lot though, cool. I don't <laughs> I don't see I could also just see me like not using it <laughs> like my double jump like cuz when do I ever I would just end up getting stuck like on the roof That's of my true. apartment or something. <laughs> well sweet. Uh Well yeah, how can the fakers find you and you know anything you want to promote? Uh, you could find me on Instagram. Handle is grossferatu with three S's, I believe. Someone already chose grossferatu before I got to it. Damn it. Um, I know. So other than that, um, no, Instagram's usually where I kind of, where I promote any shows coming up, any new work that I'm working on. Sweet. Well, you can follow us at Fake Ritual on Instagram. And please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to this. Spotify just added the ability to rate. Uh, so just do that if you're listening on Spotify right now. Uh, 
But yeah, I mean, that's all I got. So, Kenneth Nicholson, would you like to join me in wishing, or not wishing the fakers, telling the fakers, commanding the fakers to go fake themselves? Absolutely. Let's will it into existence. All right, there's a little bit of lag in the... There's a little bit of lag here, but let's try to link up our one, two, three, go. Go fake yourself. Fake yourself. <laughs> <laughs>